Hey everyone, what's up? My name is River and you're listening to SEU Buzz Podcast. Today I'll be chatting with Professor Andrew Rose, a Southern Cross academic and researcher with a PhD in environmental engineering. Within the Faculty of Science and Engineering, Andrew has worked as a researcher, lecturer, PhD supervisor, and has developed course curriculum. He has interest in aquatic chemistry and teaching practices and is the chair of Southern Cross University's academic board. Andrew's long-standing passion for science and the environment has led to his position as academic director of the university's recirculator program, which works with local industry to champion a circular economy model. Welcome to the podcast, Andrew. It's great to have you join us. Thanks, River. It's great to be here. So I guess we'll just jump straight into it. Would you like to tell us a bit about yourself and how you developed an interest in environmental engineering? Sure. So I can remember growing up as a kid thinking about what I was interested in, and there were two really main kind of things that I that I enjoyed. One is I've always had a real interest and passion for the natural world. I grew up not far from Lismore, so in the Northern Rivers region. And yeah, as people will probably be aware, it's such a beautiful region with such a lot of natural beauty and so on. Um, and I think I was aware at a very early age of the importance of trying to, to protect that. But I also like building things. And so environmental engineering seemed like the perfect combination to me. At its heart, environmental engineering is about trying to improve society using technology, but in a way that is really respectful of the limits on the environment and our impacts as humans on the environment. So yeah, it's just, it's a great way to bring together an interest in science and the natural world, an interest in technology, making things, coming up with new ideas and so on. And also doing all of that within the the context of society as a whole. So recognizing that it's about people um, and it's not just about numbers and calculations and, and so on. Yeah, so that's that's really it. As a, as a child growing up, it's just those elements coming together. And I guess when I was then looking to study at university, looking at various course options and so on, I looked at the course for environmental engineering and it had a really wide range of different subjects to study and I thought, fantastic, that's that's exactly what I want. So yeah, that's how I ended up becoming an environmental engineer. Wow. And so have, how is environmental engineering and particularly the education sector within environmental engineering, how has that changed from when you first started studying until now? Hmm, that is a, a really good question. At the time that I started studying environmental engineering, it was a fairly new discipline within engineering. So I think it was really recognition of the fact that traditionally engineering had very much been about humans dominating nature and seeing nature as something that was there to be controlled and exploited for our purposes. And so environmental engineering was that first formal recognition within the engineering discipline that there's a specific role for skills and an approach that values nature as part of the the solution. So I think within that context, the philosophy of environmental engineering hasn't changed a lot. But there have been a lot of changes in our understanding of the natural world, the kinds of tools that we have available to us as engineers. I think there's also been increasingly a really strong recognition that 
I, I guess at the time, I remember when I was studying, we did a few subjects on things like environmental law and economics and policy and so on. But I think that's really come to the fore and not just in environmental engineering, but in engineering practice in general, the fact that um, all of these things are interrelated. And so we often talk about now the quadruple bottom line when we're thinking about projects that might be put forward to try to improve improve society from an engineering perspective. And that quadruple bottom line is there's the technical aspect. So that's the, the science and, and the, the mechanics within the engineering, for example, there's the environmental impacts, but there's also the social impacts that there's no point designing something that people don't want or don't like. And then finally, there's the, the governance aspect as well, which is really, oh, sorry, that's only three. Uh-oh, as not a very good engineer, apparently. I can't count. The fourth one is economics. So if we can't afford it, that's problematic as, as well. Someone has to pay for these things. Um, yeah. And, and that third one is around governance, the fact that we have laws and and it's increasingly not just about laws but it's about social license as well just because we can do something doesn't mean that we should so that's been quite a significant shift really in the approach that environmental engineers and actually engineers in general take to engineering practices thinking of themselves more as some as having to to work across all of these different disciplines and and with with lots of different people including just the community at large to to get the best outcomes Mm, I've never heard in in any engineering conversation the aspect of of social desire for for an environmental or engineering project. What is that like to gauge what the community wants and and what is it like is it is it difficult to incorporate that into your research and into your creation I guess or engineering of of what you're creating? Mm, it is difficult. It's difficult because it's rare that you will get everybody wanting the same thing. Obviously, people have, have different values and part of being a good engineer, I think, is respecting that and recognising that not everybody is going to want a particular solution and that sometimes that involves doing something that where, where you have to use your professional judgement. Sometimes, as the engineer, you have to try to gather all of the relevant information and, and then you have to try to come up with the best solution not everybody's going to have access to that same information and so not everybody is going to understand well there's a reason why we ended up doing things in, in a particular way so the kinds of practices that engineers will often use nowadays are to, to have town hall type meetings where you actually bring the community in at a very early stage and say we've been engaged by the government or whoever it might be they would like us to build a new road. We want to know your views about, you know, where that road should should go or if there's anything you're concerned about. I think a really good example of the importance of that community engagement is going to be here in Lismore in the response to the, the floods from last year. People will have very different views about how we should be approaching things. And I, I found it a little bit troubling some of the some of the, the dialogue that's out there in public because it's been very polarising. It has to be this or it has to be that. And I feel like the word engineering has been taken in vain when um, people have said, you know, there's engineering solutions and then there's other solutions. And I just think, no, engineering is about finding solutions that people want and, and that work well. So there's a whole lot of people out there who have developed methods to try to gauge community views on things Further down the track, they, you might put a whole lot of options on the table and you might say to people, well, what do you care about? 
when, when we actually try to decide which one of these, do you care about how much it costs? Um, do you care about, I don't, I don't know, environmental values? Um, do you care about accessibility for, for people from, you know, different, um, different social groups and so on? Do you, do you care about indigenous values? So it's about getting a sense from the community. What do you care most about? Then trying to apply that to the various options that you've got on the table and say, well, this one here might not be the cheapest. It might not be the easiest, but it's the best because this is the one that scores most highly, I guess, in terms of what the people who are going to use this and whose community it's going to be in actually actually want. Mm, wow. It's a, it's a really big thing to undertake. I um, never realised how much went into actually designing a solution. And so I guess speaking as well on uh, Lismore and the community, so I understand that you're the academic director of the research project Recirculator, circular economies in the Northern Rivers. So to start off that conversation, would you be able to explain to us what a circular economy is? Yes, absolutely. So there's a nice little phrase that I think encapsulates really nicely what the circular economy is about. And that is the idea of the current kind of approach to to um, use of materials and so on, which is take, make, waste. So we dig things up or we harvest things, we make things out of them and use them, and then we throw them away. The circular economy is about take, make, recreate. So we have to start often with raw materials that we might dig up or, or we might harvest from somewhere, but they still have value even after whatever it is that we've turned them into has finished its useful life. So apart from the pure environmental damage that might be associated with digging a hole in the ground and throwing a whole lot of waste in there or burning something and just letting all of that material go back into the atmosphere, it's also really wasteful in itself because that material still has a lot of value in it. And so the circular economy is really about trying to, to think about once a particular material has finished its life in its current form, what's its next life going to look like? So once things, we go to all the trouble of digging something up or, or harvesting something and, you know, that there's a price that's paid for that both economically and, and by the environment. So we want to use that for as long as we can. And I guess the pure circular economy philosophy is that once something gets turned into a product that we want to keep using it basically indefinitely. In practice, indefinite is probably impossible, but the longer that we can keep it out of the ground or, or out of an incinerator or whatever it might be that, you know, is its real end of life, that the better. And that's what the circular economy is all about. And it relates really well to what we've been talking about in terms of environmental engineering, because there's a technical part of it, but actually a lot of it is about economics and social behaviour and social expectations as, as well. So, yeah, it's it's a fascinating area and it's one that I'm really excited about because I think it has the potential to really revolutionise our attitude towards resource use in society, which is pretty wasteful at the moment. We definitely need that revolution, I think, ASAP. So then what is Recirculator and how does that fit into Lismore specifically? Mm. So Recirculator, I find really exciting, not just because of that interest in, in the circular economy concept, but also because Recirculator is, it's quite a different kind of approach to, to a project compared to what we would normally do as a university and as an academic. So 
as an academic and as a, as a researcher, often it's about what's the research question that I'm interested in and, and then what research can I do and then how do I get money to support that or resources to support that. With the circular economy, a few of us who were keen to start building more of a research profile in this area, we started to think about, oh, well, what can we do? What's the, the research? What are the research skills that we have? What are the facilities we have here at Southern Cross that we can use where there's not currently a good solution out there? And the more we looked around, the more we realized that from a technical point of view, there are heaps of really good solutions out there. And so the question changed to why aren't these solutions being taken up by industry? And that completely changed our whole approach to what we wanted this project to be about. It's not about us discovering new technologies or that sort of thing. It's about us acting as, to use the jargon, a knowledge broker. So basically we can say, have you got a waste problem? What, what is your waste problem? And if you, if you don't know what your waste problem is, we can help to characterize that. So we can use our equipment and expertise to say, okay, this is the breakdown of your different waste products. This is how much you're generating. This is where it's coming from. This is what's in it. And then on the other side, we're forming partnerships with various suppliers of, of technologies and processes that might be able to do something with, with that type of material to turn it into something um, useful for its next phase of life. And so it's almost like matchmaking in terms of waste. It's like, hey, you've got a waste problem there. I know someone that you need to talk to. And we're acting as that broker in between. And so far, I have to say, it's working out better than I could have imagined because the people who have got problems generating waste and who it's costing them money to dispose of that waste are often struggling to know where to go and where to find solutions. And then on the other side of, of the equation, you've got people with technology but there's often barriers to that technology being adopted. An example of that is that when you're dealing with waste, you normally need a license from the New South Wales EPA if you're in New South Wales. And you can get in this awkward catch-22 situation where the EPA says, sure, we'd be happy to give you a license. We just need some data to know what your technology does, what sort of emissions it produces. And the technology provider says, well, we, we need to test that first. And the EPA says, great, so you need a license to be able to test that, that out. It sounds ridiculous, but this is, this is honestly what happens. So, that, so that's part of it, is just being able to set up a process by which that technology can be evaluated. And, and that's where we, we come in. So that's what we're doing as the recirculator. It's not just forming partnerships and saying, you know, let's introduce you to each other. It's also about saying, let's introduce you to each other and we can actually do some work to try to remove those barriers that might prevent you from forming a longer term relationship where this organization or business or industry ends up buying your technology or leasing your technology or working with you. So that's, that's what the recirculator is all about in a nutshell. It's about matchmaking people who make waste with people who have solutions for waste um, and helping remove the barriers to that relationship blossoming. Incredible. So it's creating further community connections, further employment as well, by also highlighting the areas that are, need more attention in our community. So you also said earlier, Recirculator is a lot about as well, finding out what waste problems certain people have. So Lismore, as, as a council and as a community, have you managed to track data yet on what Lismore's waste problems are or, or where, where the highest waste is coming from? 
No, we haven't we haven't got to that point yet. So one of our partnerships is with Lismore City Council and just yesterday we were over at the council's um, resource recovery and recycling facility and we are going to occupy a shed over there and they were pouring a concrete slab and the exciting thing about that is that the concrete slab contained recycled crushed glass in it instead of the usual sand that would have been mined from a sand mine. But the idea is, yeah, we're trying to form this really close partnership with Lismore City Council, which they're very keen on as well. And we're going to run some of our operations, some of the the pilot scale work that we do over there at the council site. So part of that then will be working with them to, they've got a pretty good idea of where a lot of their waste comes from. They don't always know what's in it, particularly if it's coming from uh, larger contractors. But even just if you think about your own household waste bin, there's a lot of different stuff that goes in. Sometimes what goes into particular bins shouldn't be there. People make mistakes and there's also an education component where people might not be aware of what needs to go in. So it is, it's remarkable to think that we don't probably have the level of detail about what the different waste materials or what the different materials are that are currently going to waste and where they're coming from. So that's something that we have been talking to Lismore Council about as one of our demonstration projects within the Recirculator program um, is about that first step of just characterising and sorting your waste. So yes, the short answer is we haven't done that yet, but that's one of our uh, projects that we're going to be working on. A couple of steps before then. So we also can't talk about the future of Lismore without addressing the 2022 floods, which you also mentioned earlier. How does a circular economy work in partnership with the township subject to ongoing flooding and increasing natural disasters? Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a complicated question. I th- I think it's all interrelated uh, in in the sense that the way that we are living at the moment is not particularly sustainable in in the face of the kinds of challenges that we we know are already there and are only going to get worse. One of those is climate change, of course, and that is going to continue to cause difficulties for us in living on a floodplain or near a floodplain in a way that is sustainable. But then, yeah, obviously, as well as that, we've got all of the other aspects of our our life as well. And generating waste is something that we do a lot of at the moment. It's probably, well, it's not probably, it is something that we do particularly badly as a fairly rich society. We're pretty good at just buying stuff that we don't necessarily need, using it for a short period of time and throwing it away. So I guess coming back to your question about how these things are related, I think at that at that macro level, I think they're related in that they they both have at their heart an, an underlying problem that we need to solve, which is that currently the way that we live is not particularly sustainable. So that's kind of the big picture. Getting more into the details, we saw the huge amounts of material that had to be thrown away as a result of the, the floods. And I think there are opportunities not just for the recirculator, but as a society for us to apply circular economy principles, even to the way that we deal with natural disasters. And to give an example of that, some friends 
of my family were unfortunately flooded in the, the 2022 Lismore flood. And they were initially advised to pull all of the walls out um, of their house and throw the material away. And a lot of their neighbours did that. But actually their walls were made of beautiful hardwood timber. So they've since been advised by builders and whatnot, just let it dry out, clean it, repaint it, and everything should be fine. Where insurance companies are involved, insurance companies have basically just said, no, just go in and rip it all out. There's a potential contamination risk there. So we're not interested in taking on any of that risk. We want you to just strip the house down and throw everything away. So perfectly good material that it's undoubtedly been contaminated. Floodwater's very dirty, but I don't think the solution is just to throw it all away. We have to be able to do better than that. Amongst other things, you know, a lot of these timbers are rare and valuable now. A lot of those timbers would have been cut down from the, the local big scrub. So apart from just their inherent beauty and value, it just really propagates that horrible cycle of take, make and waste. And it's completely unnecessary. So that's one example that when I, when I heard that, I just thought, oh, surely we can do something here. Surely if we can provide the data to show, well, actually, if you treat the timber in this way, and maybe when I say treat, it might be as simple as hosing it down. But as a university, we have the tools to measure. Are there microorganisms in there? Are there heavy metals in there afterwards? I think there probably are not, but that's the sort of data that if we can provide that to insurance companies or even say, look, before you rip things out and throw them away, get a sample sent to us. We've got lab facilities. We can tell you whether it's contaminated with microorganisms or chemicals and so on. And if it's not, you don't need to throw it away. And, you know, that would save the insurance companies money as well. The insurance companies don't have to then pay to have the, uh, the house rebuilt. And, you know, maybe that leads to lower, lower insurance costs. So it's all, it's just all interrelated. And, and I think what, yeah, we can do with the recirculator is really just try to pick off particular projects to pursue where we see that we have the, the skills and, and the facilities here at the university and where we see that it has the potential to make a significant difference. And in my mind, that that is one where we can make a pretty significant difference in relation to the, the outcomes from the Lismore floods. Yeah, quite intersectional as well to to even think about insurance companies, which from what you've said there, I have I have two questions for you. They're slightly related, slightly not. The first one is, so would a recirculator or circular economy system, if that was in full swing in Lismore and operating in its highest potential, would that also help to alleviate potential contaminants in future floodwaters? And is it also part of a circular economy's philosophy to be able to have partnerships with insurance companies and to be able to have a relationship with those kind of bureaucratic systems? Mm. Again, really good questions. I think that the answer to the first, I think, well, the answer to both questions, I think is yes. I think waste has certain connotations that it's useless and often we do associate waste with being contaminated. And so that then I think also influences what we what we do with it so if they're materials that we don't assign much value to we're unlikely to be trying to protect them in any sort of way so if we're just chucking stuff in in bins or um or whatnot then we're not really worried about 
whether it gets flooded because it has no inherent value for us. Whereas I think just at that level, if it's something that we treat as a resource, then we, we might think, well, it's worth saving that because we know that we're going to be able to use it for something valuable in, in the future. So again, I think at that really sort of fundamental level, it just speaks to our values as a society that waste is something that we want to get rid of and it doesn't have value. In fact, it has the, the opposite for us. So on a more practical level, I would like to think that if we can identify certain materials to start with that we know have a really clear next life for them and we can help to set up or enable, I, I don't think it, we're going to be setting these things up, but if we can enable the creation of these sort of structures within society, so supply chains essentially, where someone knows that I will separate this out and then I know that that is going to be given or sold to this next person who's then going to go and turn it into, into something else great. It just reduces the, at a practical level, it just reduces the amount of that material that might be sort of sitting around and, and in, in a form where it's not really protected from the potential for, for flooding or is in a form where it might just be considered as toxic or, or contaminated. So if, if that just becomes, you know, a, a short transition phase between its current life and the next life, then that'll just mean there's less of that material sitting around in that state at any time. So, so yeah, that's the first part. And, uh, and in relation to the second part of, of your question about forming relationships with uh, insurance companies or other government bodies, absolutely. So part of the circular economy is about technology, but there are certainly people who hold the view that technology is not the answer and in fact can sometimes be part of the problem when it comes to the circular economy. In fact, it's about social factors and economics. In other words, it's about creating the supply chains so that you know almost from the time when you first dig up the material or you harvest it, you don't just know what it's going to become next. You know what it's going to become next. And then, you know, after that, it goes to this, you know, this next life. And after that, it goes to the next one. So it's almost like mapping out that whole supply chain, I guess, ideally hundreds of hundreds of years into the future. And that's something that can only be done by engaging with all of the different individuals and organizations who are going to play a, a role in creating that longer term supply chain. So governments have an important role to play there in terms of regulation on, on the one side that tells us what we can and can't do with certain materials. Also in terms of levies and, and so on. So at the moment, one of the main incentives to keep material out of landfill is the, the cost. It's essentially a tax that the New South Wales EPA applies. They don't apply that to households. They apply that to councils. So Lismore City Council, for example, operates a landfill and the New South Wales government says for every tonne of waste that goes into that landfill, we're going to charge you X, I think it's $100, $100 at the moment. But, uh, you know, from an economic point of view, a viable solution for a, a waste contractor might be, well, I could take it to the Lismore Waste Facility and that'll cost me $200 a tonne or I could truck it to Queensland where the waste levies are a lot lower and I'll pay less for that. And that's actually what's happening in a lot of cases at the moment. Um, I'm not specifically referring to, you know, 
uh, anyone anyone in particular in the local region, but that's a, been a well-recognised issue within the sort of the, the waste area for some time. And anyway, the point of that example is really just that it's a complex problem that requires an ag agreement and alignment between a lot of different stakeholders. And that includes government organisations in the case of, you know, the flood waste and so on. It includes the insurers, it includes individuals and, and councils, a whole lot of different people. That's massive. That's a massive job ahead of you. So the uni is is quite involved in, in the project, that being that it, um, correct me if I'm wrong, the university helps to fund the Recirculator project. So how will the uni work with local businesses starting small before going into the larger government bodies and partnerships there, but how will the uni work with local businesses to establish the circular economies? Yes. Yeah, so, so we've got a few different activities that we're focusing on. One of those is around setting up those, those demonstration projects, as I mentioned, and that's about that sort of matchmaking, I, I guess, between people who generate what we currently consider to be waste and people who might have ideas on what you could do with that to turn it into something useful. So that's that technical side of things. But also the recirculator has aims around education and in engagement. And when I talk about education, it's not so much around the community education, which is something that councils and, and various other people already do really well. It's as a university. Um, so it's that, I guess, more... At a, at a deeper intellectual level. So certainly within our engineering degrees, we're looking to create opportunities for internships and for students to do their final year projects with some of these organisations and to, to, to really develop skills and knowledge in, in that circular economy area. Um, we've also got some master's students who will be starting with us soon, so doing research projects um, as, as part of that. And then we're also looking, we're building, I guess, trying to just build a, a presence, we would like the recirculator to become something that is well known in the region and it becomes a bit of a go-to place for, for local industries. So at the moment, I think we are doing a lot of, we're going out and trying to form connections with people who we're aware of, but often it's just, you'll hear about, oh, have you heard that such and such is doing something in this area or someone or other's got a problem and so we'll make contact with them in that way. But ideally, it'd be great to get to the point where people come to us and that they say, you know, we know what you do. We, w we were wondering if we could work with you, if you'd be able to help us in, in some way. So, yeah, that's a bit of a, a longer term strategy. Something that I think will really help with that that's currently in the planning stages is to have a, a big sort of symposium. And I think that's currently planned for around May, where we'll be inviting a lot of people that we know of who have an interest in this area and so yeah it'll it'll be that process of people who have issues with waste and are not quite sure how to solve them and people who possibly have solutions and um, to, to get them all in the room together as well as bringing in some experts including some international experts and really get that conversation kick-started in quite a big way as part of that particular meeting which we'll hold here at the university and then hopefully it'll become, I guess, a bit of a self-sustaining network where these people will then go out and, you know, they'll, they'll talk to other people and say, oh, have you spoken to Southern Cross University, the Recirculator Project? They'll, they'll be able to help you with this. So, yeah, that's the vision, I think, is for us to become the go-to point. 
and for us also to be as an educational institution training people with the skills to then go out into the community so it's not so it doesn't always have to be the recirculator team or the academic staff or whoever it is at Southern Cross University. It's our graduates who are going out and working in local businesses and industries and even just, you know, as members of the community, having that kind of influence. And yes, that's how we plan to infiltrate and conquer. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good plan. Um, So what would it mean nationally and potentially globally as well on a scale um, for recirculator to succeed in Lismore and in the Northern Rivers? I think you've hit the nail on the head with that talking about the issue of scale. So I think what it would mean is it would essentially demonstrate that the solutions, that you can find solutions that work on on a regional level. So I think I think it's difficult for individual households and individual businesses to solve these problems on their own. And one of the reasons for that is because there are economies of scale around the way that some of the technology or technological approaches at least can work. And so it can be really difficult to get a certain technology to be viable either in a technical sense, or sometimes it's more about the economics of it if it's just, you know, in a particular business or on a particular farm or in your house and whatnot. So there's a certain minimum scale that I think is useful that allows people to kind of pull their resources both resources in the sense of the the materials that are currently going to waste, but also the cost. And, you know, technology requires often expertise to operate it. So you can't really afford to be paying someone to manage your waste in the household. But if it's a group of, you know, a community of a thousand households, you can pay someone who has that expertise to, to manage it for you. At the other extreme, when you start transporting materials it adds to the cost significantly and a lot of these things start to become no longer viable. And certainly from what we've seen in relation to some technologies and work that's been done by other people, the sweet spot seems to be at the kind of the the city scale. So even if you start looking to say, take waste from Ballina to Lismore or Lismore to Casino or whatnot, that starts to become expensive and also from an environmental perspective at least with our current dependence on fossil fuels it also quickly negates any environmental benefits as well so yeah the sweet spot seems to be at that kind of regional level or maybe even a sub-regional level and i think that's a that's a really important element of the recirculator concept is trying to find ways to kind of pull resources at that regional level so that we can employ more sophisticated approaches where they're needed, but also still achieve the outcomes that we want environmentally and economically. Um, and that, that works, yeah, the bigger you get, the more challenging that, that becomes once you kind of go beyond that regional scale. So, yeah, again, if we can, part of the recirculator will, is, is about looking at that technical and economic viability of different solutions that we come up with. And so being able to say to people, look, if you're looking to employ this type of solution to your problem, you really need to be looking at it on this scale. So that might mean as a business, we need to find some other businesses that generate similar wastes or complementary wastes that we can pull our resources together 
but sometimes it might also mean actually you're big enough to do this on on your own so it's worth your while if you're a big a big organization you've got a large budget it's worth your while spending five million dollars to put one of these plants in and paying someone to run it for example um, and that's actually going to be better for you than trying to truck the waste elsewhere yeah. So do you think that the future of circular economies and the development of circular economies, would that influence engineering, the engineering field as a whole with the future of engineering projects? It it already does to some extent. So certainly thinking about, well, to give one example, if an engineering company or let's say a construction company is putting in a, a tender to build a, a new road or something something like that, one of the components that they'll be evaluated on is around their waste waste management. And so it's already considered to some extent, but I think more broadly, it's more a reflection of the philosophy, the evolution of the philosophy of, of engineering. So I think engineering, when it started, was very much just about let's find technical solutions to problems and then we don't really care about any of the other impacts we're the engineers we'll tell the community what works and what doesn't we don't really care about the environment generally the environment was the problem that needed to be to be fixed so this is your early last century approach to engineering then i think there was that awakening in the 1970s of the importance of the environment both the inherent value but also the fact that we're not separate from the rest of the the natural environment and I feel like that that was a significant evolution for engineering this realization that oh no the environment is not something that's external to engineering it's actually intrinsically tied into our engineering activities and so at that point I think there was very much this realization that we needed to protect the environment and so in relation to how we dealt with waste I think that's a really good example maybe with that first approach to engineering waste you didn't even think about it i mean who cares you just take it and you burn it or you bury it whatever it's you know that's not really our concern and then with that sort of second stage in the evolution of our our understanding and our philosophy it was more about oh no that is a problem you can't just burn it or chuck it in the river we need to protect the environment okay well we'll start burying it but we'll put liners in the landfill so that the environment around it isn't contaminated or if we burn it we'll be really careful about scrubbing the gases so we're not polluting the atmosphere the third evolution in my mind is that's not good enough because it's wasteful and we have finite resources and we can't just keep digging stuff up and then burying it or burning it even if burying it or burning it doesn't impact the local environment it's just it's inherently wasteful and it has other negative consequences and I think that actually reflects the shift in engineering philosophy that the modern engineer adopts which is it's not just about how do we minimize the impacts on the environment it's about how do we get the best overall outcome that fits into um, what I was talking about earlier that nowadays the best overall outcome it's not just the cheapest one that minimizes the environmental impact and does the job it's well what do you think as the community is is important to you you know it, what are your your values and how do we try to come up with a, a solution that actually optimizes all of those different things and so in my mind the circular economy 
the philosophy is very, very similar. It's, it's that, okay, there are benefits to us in making things and using them. We like to do that. We're not at the point where we want to stop doing that yet, but we need to really understand the, the impacts of that across a long period of time and we need to design systems. So I think that's probably the word is this notion of a systems approach to engineering. And if I can put in a little plug for our engineering degree at Southern Cross, we've recently redeveloped that and it's called the Bachelor of Engineering Systems because it's all about understanding the whole system um, of which engineers are kind of responsible for with engineering projects is understanding how that whole system behaves and coming up with the optimal solution. Circular economy is that is exactly that, a systems approach, which is kind of saying, let's look from the very start to the, to the very end here and burying something in the ground is not the end. Yeah, I like that too, though, the conversation about systems is because I think, um, you know, from a social or liberal arts perspective, you know, system is a dirty word. You know, we talk about systemic oppression and, you know, like systemic abuse. So to be able to look at systems as, in fact, a positive a positive change on our um, society and the environment is really refreshing to see. So I have one last question for you. What advice do you have for people at home who are wanting to reduce waste on a small scale while they wait for the recirculator to pick up in its next stage of development? Oh, that's a tricky one. I think my advice is is really just to try to be as informed as possible about the the impacts of the waste that you're you're generating. So different people are com- are going to be comfortable with taking different types of measures and again i think it probably comes down to your your values and that's not my role to judge those so i think if if you feel really strongly that you want to make sure that you're absolutely minimizing the amount of waste and you're prepared to go to quite significant um, lengths around that then you really want to try to keep everything out of the waste bin so there's this notion of the waste hierarchy and at the very top is avoid the next one down is reuse and then once you start getting further down then we start getting down to recycling so at the very top is avoid when you buy things or well i guess it's generally when you buy things yeah make a choice that you're going to buy things that come in packaging that is or don't come in any packaging at all ideally If they do come in some sort of packaging, then you might think about, okay, well, the next best thing is reuse. So is this, you know, this is where the concept of single-use plastic bags, not great because you can only reuse them a few times. So, you know, choose something maybe that, that comes in a type of packaging that you might be able to use for some other purpose. And then if we get further down still, and that's really not possible or that's not something you're comfortable with, the next thing is, to look at it and think, well, is this something that can be recycled? And so, yeah, in terms of your behavior at home, once you get down to that level of, okay, I am creating waste that I want to dispose of here, the more of that you can put into your recycling bin as opposed to the the landfill bin, the better. So yeah, I guess thinking about it from the perspective of a household, step one is try to minimize the amount of stuff that's coming into the house, particularly stuff that is not stuff that you really want, like the packaging. But you can apply that to food as well, you know, try not to bring it in if you're not going to eat it. Step two is 
then uh, if you do have to bring it in, try to avoid ha having to send it out again. So I've got chooks at home, for example, and we end up with very little of the food waste that goes into the, the green bin because the chooks eat most of it. So that's a way to avoid creating waste as well. And then step three, if it does have to go into the bin, try to try to put as much of it as you can into the recycling bin or the, the green organics bin. At least that's what they are here in Lismore. And the red bin is the bad bin. <laughs> it does end up going into landfill, at least at present. And yes, as you said, hopefully the recirculator could do something about that in the future. But in the meantime, the less that goes in there, the better. I agree. Thank you so much, Andrew, for your time. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. And hopefully we'll see you out there on the field with Recirculator. Thanks very much, River. It's been a real pleasure and I've really enjoyed it. 